Today, I'd like to um, continue looking at the church as uh, not just a timeless existence, but a timely existence. And what we meant is that the church really is the movement of God, even more than it is the movements of human beings trying to organize ourselves according to the biblical principles. Um, and when we look at um, the Acts of the Apostles, we actually see God in, mo- in motion. He's moving, and the church follows that. And so if you think of the church not as just a static kind of organization that's humanly organized, all that, all that is true, right? All that is true, but those are secondary things. But primarily, the essence of church, the real reality of church, if you want to get the, 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 the power of church, you want to think about church as it really is in its essence. And I will put it to you that actually what we've been looking at is that the church is God moving in real time and his people following that move. That's really important because it doesn't start with human beings, doesn't start with the Constitution, doesn't even start with the Bible. It starts with God. If you don't understand that, then you'll find yourself bottling the church up and with putting labels on the church, the Bible church or the community church or whatever. You will bottle it and you will miss the raw dynamic of God moving. And over the past few years, I've reflected a lot about what is church? What causes some people to experience church as a very powerful dynamic and some people to experience church as a very boring and very um, uh, unappetizing uh, <laughs> phenomenon? Yeah. And so I'd like us to look at Acts. And I realized that as I was reading Acts this week, there may have been some things that I missed out in the past few weeks talking to you. And I, and I feel like it's important to talk about it. Uh, to be able to be able to get church rather than not church, you can read the scriptures and end up trying to follow it and end up with something that is not church. We don't want that. What we want to do is to be able to follow the scriptures carefully, so much that we can see God moving in it, or else you just see words and you don't see the movement that's happening in real time. Yeah, and hopefully this will help to answer why some people experience the reality of God and some don't. Right, And let's have a look at this anyway. You have to look at the church as beginning from the resurrection of Christ. And so in chapter 1, I neglected to look at some parts of it that are actually essential. Um, but I just felt the Holy Spirit just pointing a finger at these things to show us that He was beginning... The, to inaugurate the church from a little bit further back than Pentecost, okay? So let's have a look at it. Chapter 1. Um, Jesus had risen from the dead and he was presenting himself alive after his suffering with many convincing proofs. He was actually around for 40 days. That's a lot. And so a lot of people saw him And he started speaking about the things of the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of God is not just the realm of God, but the reign of God. We sometimes think of the the kingdom of God as the realm. That means all the political, uh, economic, 
structural things that are in place, right? The realm, the place, the venue of that, the space in which God's kingdom is. But the, when, the, when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, it doesn't actually mean that. It means the reign of God. That means the action of God, the verb reign. Okay? So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we think talk about God's acting against the powers of the devil, destroying the works of the devil. God actually causing breakthrough, causing his life of heaven to actually break into earth. Okay? When we talk about kingdom of God. So he's talking about the kingdom of God, something bigger. It's even bigger than organized church. Yeah? And so he's talking about the kingdom of God. And then he says to them, gathering verse 4 together, them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. So what he's saying is this, the thing that I promised you, you haven't got it yet. It hasn't come yet. Don't try to think that you can organize yourselves into, into, into being a, a, a church without the dynamic of what is supposed to be promised. Okay, if you build a structure around, around nothing, you get a stuffed animal. Okay? If you want to understand what an animal looks like and what the animal's nature is, you've got to see it when it's moving and not when it's dead and then got stuffed. You cannot understand church by looking at an, by church as a stuffed animal. You may be able to control it. You may be able to see it in its, in its, in its present um, uh, condition. But what you're seeing is an instant in time when the animal died. And so a lot of times people get a dead church. They get a stuffed animal because they are not looking at the actual movement of the animal. They're not getting the, the animus. Of course. Make sense? So what Jesus is saying is this. You haven't actually got it yet. Don't, don't, don't kind of jump into things so quickly. Because there is power. And if you don't have the power, you just have a stuffed animal. What you have is something that is less than church. And I have a very, very sneaky suspicion that many people experience something less than church, less than the kingdom of God, the reigning of the ruling of God. And I don't want any of that to happen in our church. But it's very easy for us to love the stuffed animal, hug it, control it, put our arms around it, have an, immune, an emotional relationship with it, and actually what you're having a relationship with is not God, not church, but actually a projection of your own self. And so, I hope that at the end of this, we will all have a sense of the movement of God and have a chance to be able to connect with it and give ourselves to that. So he says, wait, wait for what the Father has promised, which he said you heard from me. And that's an interesting thing because what Jesus is saying is this, there's the promise of God, I heard, spoken in words, I suppose, yeah? Promises are usually given in words. There's the promise of God and then the thing fulfilled. 
I'll say it again. There's a promise of God expressed in words, and then the promise fulfilled, which is expressed in power. Now, I have a feeling that the church has become so eloquent and so smart in the, in the way we formulate things with our insights and all that and our understanding of words. And especially in America, how we use words with such emotive force, with such articulation, such power, that we have missed the distinction between the promise. That's why we have promising messages. That's why we have promising um, um, rhetoric. And there's power in that promise. There's power in words. My sense, my fear is that the church has been very happy with the articulate expression of powerful words and promises that bespeak something but are not the thing itself. So when Paul, when, when, when Jesus says to the children, to, to, to the disciples, wait for the promise, you haven't got it yet. Don't get fooled by my nice words. Don't get fooled by my clever words, my powerful words. Don't get fooled by that. Because you haven't got it. That's why you wait. Does that make sense? And waiting is to enter into the flow of time within which God is moving. Waiting has to do with entering into the flow that is moving in real time. It's timely, not just timeless. It will not do to say timeless words to one another that's a very inspiring if we don't enter into the substance of what those words are pointing to and not receive the power. And so... May I suggest to you that we are, in, we are into something very, very exciting. You getting excited? Okay. It's so exciting that the best experience we had, we can say, that isn't even it. That isn't even it, man. Alright, but to wait for that which the Father has promised, which He said, you have heard from me, yeah, you heard the words, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized in. I like in. Uh, that's, a, that's an alternative trans- translation, more, more literal. You'll be baptized in rather than with the Holy Spirit. It's both are actually good. Not many days from now. So what he's saying is this. You are going to be so immersed, so inundated by the Holy Spirit that you will not even know where you're coming, whether you're coming or you're going. You'll be in. You'll be in. You'll not be in control. You cannot even look at the Holy Spirit and pontificate about, what, about, about this or analyzing it. You'll be so drowning in it, in Him, that your life will never be the same again. He's talking about that, okay? Please, let's not, let's not kind of systemize it and become, make it into something that we can, like, we can imagine. It is not. It's, not. it's better than our words, okay? So what Jesus is saying is, it's humongous. It's humongous, okay? And so the, holy, the, 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 the disciples uh, don't quite catch it yet because it's so big. So verse 6, So when they had come together, they were asking, of him, asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
And then you see how they miss it. Because Jesus is talking about something much bigger than Israel. He's talking about much something that's much bigger than the nationalism of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a race of people that have aspirations. When I read it, I was thinking, what are you thinking? You're thinking, you're thinking that it's just bound down to the restoration of the kingdom of Israel? You think all of God's purposes, all the power of Him, of God, is down to Israel? Don't get me wrong, I'm for Israel. But please, you think that the kingdom of God is Israel? You mean that all the, 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 the confluence and the convergence of history is upon one nation? You have to be kidding. If you think that all of Jesus' death on the cross and all that, all his life, his incarnation is for Israel? You know what they did? They bottled it. They bottled it. They bottled the kingdom of God. They became like the church today that bottles everything into something that is smaller, something more manageable, much more nationalistic, much more in, within the categories that we all give to one another and that, that we, 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 we create. Israel? Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm a pray for Israel. But you think it's that? That the kingdom of God is Israel? No. You see, what had happened is this. They had mistaken Israel for the kingdom of God. And what Jesus was doing when he says, wait, he's saying, I want you to wait for something bigger than your hopes and aspirations that are common to man, or common to human beings. Okay? So, children of, children of Israel, notwithstanding, uh, the Lord is speaking to the children, the, the his disciples. In verse 7, he says, To them, it is not for you to know times of epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. What he's saying is this, you just, it's, it's not even a thing. It's not even a thing to worry about. That's not even for you to know. It's none of your business. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that is the narrative. That is the true narrative. That is the true action. That is the true thing that God's doing. This is the true convergence of everything of purpose that has come. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea, beyond Israel, and Samaria, beyond Israel, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. What Jesus is saying is not just trying to... to, to, to to, to correct their nationalistic uh, uh, myopia. But he's saying the kingdom of God is the power of the Holy Spirit that will change you. The disciples' last experience has been utter failure. It was completely collapse, complete collapse of morale when they ran away. Right? Their last experience. Their, the sum total of their own courage and their, 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 their character has been absolute collapse. But what Jesus was saying was completely opposite to their experience. He was saying, you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses. The maturo is, has, has a lot to do with being, being, having the, 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 the conquerors to actually even die for him. But you will be producers of the proof 
witnesses, produces the proof that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the kingdom of God. Don't play tiddlywinks with God. Don't reduce church or Christian experience to your own categories because I want to make you witnesses by, by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being not only filled with the Holy Spirit where you can contain the Holy Spirit, but actually be in the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Spirit. So you are not contained, you cannot contain the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit contains you. Isn't that amazing? So what, what we're looking at, at as we look at church, I realize, is something much bigger and something quite other than what we tend to think about church as. And I realize that for us, in order for us to even understand anything about church, whether it's in the Old Testament or New Testament, we have to be immersed into the actuality of it, or else we'll be talking about something from afar. Just like, let me give you an example. There is a river, and the Old Testament, New Testament talks about the flow of God as a river. It has its own dynamics. And there's river that is flowing. What it says there's a river that makes glad the, the, the city of God, you know, the habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of it. She will not be moved. Talking about the river. And what can happen is that we can mistake the water for the river. You can splash water on yourself and you have water but you don't have river. Because river has its force. It has its volume. It has its direction. It is bigger than the sum of all the waters that you can bottle. And so there are a lot of Christians who like to go to Jordan, right? They go to Israel and they get water, holy water from the Jordan River. You don't have river, you have water. Does that make sense? May I suggest that the church can sometimes tend to think about church from these analytical kind of approaches that actually leave you outside of the reality of it. And that's why Jesus said, you have to wait. You have to wait because you haven't experienced it yet. It hasn't come yet. He hasn't come yet. But when He comes, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. You will be different. How will you know? You, you will be able to do the things that you are scared to do right now. Or you are unable to do not, no matter, even if you are not scared. Something will happen in you. You will know it. How will you know it? it will, you will be changed. And you will know it better than anybody else does. And so, he calls them into this. What he's calling the, 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 the disciples into, it's not a bottled experience. Uh, the British use the word sometimes bottled. So in soccer, when uh, West Ham play Liverpool and are overawed by the fact that Liverpool is Liverpool and West Ham is West Ham, little old West Ham and Liverpool is big. Many commentators say that David Moyes was overawed by Liverpool and bottled it. What they're saying is that they played under their freedom and their genius. They played under that. You bottled it. That doesn't make sense? So sometimes when a person who is 
is in, in the Olympics, we see that word used a lot by the British. They say, oh, they bottled it, she bottled it. She was a great cyclist, but she bottled it. Or he bottled it in a race, he bottled it. To bottle it is to actually reduce your output your, and make it smaller than what, what you really are. And sometimes as a church, we can actually bottle it. We bottle it. We reduce river into water. It's easier to do that because it's manageable. It's manageable. We can, we can reduce prayer ministry or prophetic ministry or words of knowledge and bottle it and make it into something we can conceive of that's just a product of our own imagination. Even though, even though God does work through our imagination, we can bottle it. We can talk about big things as if, so, so, sorry, we can talk about small things as if they are really big things. And I don't mean this as a rebuke. I'm just saying that let's, let's, let's clear the ground, right? So that we know what we're looking for when we look at church. Let's, let's clear the ground so that we don't have any misconceptions that make us feel comfortable about ourselves and about what we're, what we're experiencing so that we can have hope in something that's better than what we have, the best things that we've experienced. And so let's not bottle it. And sometimes what, we can happen, what can happen is that we can reduce church to a bottled form with labels. And last week I talked about the fact that I sometimes feel uncomfortable about the word community just because of the fact that the church is secondarily a community, but it comes out of something much more primary than that. When you reduce it to community, which is people of same interest and people who care for one another, if you reduce church to that then the, and you make that the primary thing, what happens is that you miss out its ontology. You, look, you miss out what it actually is. You miss out the, an, the animal, the moving animal that it is. And you get a stuffed animal. You have a bottled thing. It's easy to understand. It makes us feel good. But, and it is true too. Because if you have real, authentic, Holy Spirit life, then you have love. Then you have community. Then you have scriptures. Then you have Bible church. Right? But if you bottle it up into something that is made up, then you, you reduce the righteousness of God to your human contemporary ethics or under understandings of it. It becomes contextualized to such an extent that it becomes God in the form of man. Yeah? As a result of that, well, but we are, we're, we're not doing that. Okay? So that we will get what, what comes out of it when we enter into the waiting we enter into the dynamic. We come out church rather than come out stuffed animal or bottled water. Yeah? And so he told them, wait for the Holy Spirit, for he will come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. That's the fruit. I don't say this as a rebuke. I say this as something hopeful. That whether you have experienced this or not, that is what God has for us. Amen? All right. And so, maybe, let's go to, 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 to um, the upper room then. They returned to Jerusalem and they went up to the, the upper room. And that's verse 14. These all with one mind, and that's the word symphoneo, were continually devoted, devoting themselves to prayer alongside, along with the, mother, the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Yeah? And so what did they do? They basically entered into a certain kind of prayer. Now, I want to put it to you that 
the prayer that they entered into is not prayer as a means of controlling the circumstances or prayer of just letting God know what we need or we desire, we want. I want to put it to you that actually the prayer is described by the word waiting. The prayer was entering into a river in which God was doing stuff and speaking things and moving in a certain direction. And the river had a direction. It was going somewhere. It was actually, for prayer for them, prayer was not just telling God things that they need by which the prayer is controlled by human beings. We tell God things. We tell God things. We speak things. We sing things. We do these things. We, 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 we do pray thing, prayer things. I want to put it to you that actually prayer is, was much more something in which there was a waiting on God because God was acting. God was moving. God was speaking. And God was, was, was jostling things around. The prayer they entered into was not the prayer that had a lot of asking of God to do things. I'm sure there was because that's part of the way in which God loves us and that we relate to God. We relate as children. We're not that mature. And so because of that, we can't help asking things. We are, our, our desires are just so, 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 so strong in us that we can't help doing that. I do that all the time. But the primary thing about prayer, being devoted to prayer, was being submitted to a river that was going on which we had no control over which they had no control over. It is actually submerging themselves into the flow of the river that they did not know where it was going. When you come for daily prayer, do not be fooled by the fact that there are a lot of prayer items. The first thing we do is praise items, you have prayer items. We all have that, okay? But that doesn't even say what the prayer is. Because what we are wanting to do in prayer is to actually submit ourselves to what God wants to do and be as long as He's at His behest so that He can actually lead us. This prayer is not to show how sensitive we are to the Holy Spirit. It's not to show off. It's not to tell God our agendas. It is to actually give up our agendas so that God is able to do that. Now, what was going to happen here is this. The stakes are very high. These people, this group of people, 120 of them, were people who are a motley crew of people who are complete failures. They had no life outside of that room. They step out of the room, they'll be under uh, tremendous danger. Outside of the room, they had no life. They didn't have a life. They had nothing to boast about. They had, did not have a re- reputation, they have anything. Outside of that room, they go out, they step out of the room, there's nothing there for them, right? Their life is just completely shot through. And so, when God, Jesus says to them, I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, What they're saying is this, we are imprisoned in your proposition. We are imprisoned to what you want us to do. We cannot leave the room unless we are changed, unless all that Holy Spirit stuff comes upon us. We cannot leave the room. There is no place for us outside this room. Can you believe that? Prayer is not 
telling other people, telling God about things that we want outside of that room. Prayer is saying, we are captive to you. You do what you like with us. Our minds are all over the place. We are stressed out. We are anxious. We are fearful. We We can't even still those voices, but you have to do that. You have to actually come and still our fears. You have to come, and unless you still our fears, we are going to be jittery like, I was going to say hell, in that room. Unless you do something, we are, we are sunk. You need to lead us. You need to give us prayer. You need to bring us into the river because we are now in some other river right now and you have to actually come upon us. Now, that is the start of church, okay? Church isn't just prayer meetings. Church isn't just supplication and, and requests being made known to God. We can talk all that we want to talk. All that is good. But you will be deceived to think that in our prayer, it is all about the things that we pray to God for. Because the prayer that is really ongoing, quite apart from God listening to our, all our requests, all the things we want God to do, which He already knows He wants to do more than we do, is Him taking us. I'm taking you in now. You follow me. And if you don't hear me, you just wait. Waiting is something that's very humbling because sometimes nothing comes. But you are at His behest. And the church began as a company of people who were locked down, who were locked in and had no place to go other than that. Other kinds of prayer are valid, but they will never change you like this will. Because this means you have to die. You have to devote yourself. What it meant was that they actually persevered, they actually endured prayer without fainting. They were imprisoned to this prayer, and this prayer will hold them right there. You can't move. You can't attend. You can't come when you want. You can't go when you want. You can't mind whatever you want to do. You have to be there until you break, until your will begins to be soft in my hand and something happens to you. That was what birthed the church. Not prayer meetings. Not prayer meetings in which we are still autonomous and we can tell God what we want Him to do. But prayer has to do with the fact that God actually has us. And sometimes that prayer is just complete silence in which you only hear your own fears, your own anxieties, your own frustrations, your own doubts about God. You hear only that. And God has you wait. You just wait. Praying in the Spirit is something that helps, but it's not what it's all about either. We just come into the river. And after a while, not because of anything that we did specially, God develops a feel for the water. Feel for the water. I used to wonder why my, my daughter's coaches, when they were swimming, would say, your children have a feel for the water. I said, what? Water is wet. 
what water is wet. It's just what, what do you mean feel the water? I can feel the water. I got feel for the water. If I touch it, I know it's wet. I was talking about the water as a bottled thing that splashes. What he was talking about, what they were talking about, is the way in which they relate to the force and the, fear, the, 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 the mass of the water, the actuality of the water, how they are familiar with it. Somehow in an intuitive way, they just know what to do with the water, how to position their hand. They didn't, nobody taught them. They just somehow had that. And I began to find that there is such a thing as the feel for the water. When you move in the things of the Spirit, you're moving in something that is bigger than you. You're in it. You are it. It's not in you. You are in it. And feel begins to develop. Especially when you begin to relax. And in prayer, you begin to relax. And as you begin to relax, you don't worry that God doesn't seem to be speaking. You, you don't worry that your, your mind is just going to a thousand places, most of them being negative. You just know that you can trust Him. And as you trust Him, you sit down at Him. And when you trust Him, you allow Him to be the main actor so that your hope is not in the way you feel or feeling better, but cast upon Him. Does that make sense? One of the three mighty men of David, his name is... Let me see if I can pronounce it in one, one shot. Jabesh Jeshabeth, yeah? otherwise known as Adino. He was the, the, the chief of the mighty men of David, the three. Yeah? I talk about Chama and I talk about of, um, of, uh, Eliezer. But this is Jabesh, Jabesh Jehoshabeth. Okay? I think I got it right. I think I got it wrong, actually. <laughs> Do you know what he mean, it means? It means... He who sits in the seat. He, he who sits in the seat. So some translations will not use his name. He will say, and, and the chiefest of, of, of these was the one who sits in the seat. That's his name. Yeah? His name was he who sits in the seat. Trust is so powerful because trust doesn't put any weight upon what you do, but you sit in what God is doing. You accept it. I have learned how to trust Him and I'm still learning how to trust Him because trust is sometimes the hardest thing. Because trust means you have to somehow allow yourself to not only not be in control, but to put, to do nothing. To do nothing. And during this period that I'm, 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 I'm living in, one of the things that the Lord has been speaking to me is to trust Him. Because He says, if you trust me, you will not be moved. If you trust me, you will rejoice. You will trust me, you will this, or you trust me, that. And suddenly st struck me that trust is not just an action on my part, a passive action on my part. It has to do with sitting and letting the weight rest and transfer from myself, my own control, into Him. And pressing, it, pressing myself into him until I feel the upthrust of his everlasting arms on me. Until I feel that trust is just something that I do. I'm just trying to sit. But how does trust happen? Trust happens when I'm doing all my best to sit 
and I find that trust is so difficult because I can't, my fears, my anxieties, my, my, my scenarios are all playing frantically upon me and I just try to trust. And the Lord's saying, just trust, just trust, just trust. How? How to trust? At a certain point, after waiting on Him, the Bible says, underneath are the everlasting arms, right? I actually feel that, under, that underneath the everlasting arms are pushing up against me. I'm feeling some feedback. Does that make sense? Trust has a, has a fruit. Most people don't get past the, them trusting. They don't get past them trying to trust. Trust has to do with the fact that you keep on doing it until a certain point and the, the, the everlasting arms are felt. Like Newton's law hit you back. And so in the past few days, I would tell uh, Cindy, I'm trying to trust. But trust hasn't come yet. It hasn't come yet. I haven't felt it yet. But I know that trust happens for me when the feedback of the under everlasting arms begins to be felt, pushing back against me as an objective reality. Does that make sense? So waiting is that. I want to encourage us as a church to enter into not prayer meetings. Prayer meetings are good. No, go for prayer meetings. Yes, definitely go for prayer meetings. But to enter into this peculiar thing that makes that becomes the, 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 the brewing place, the, the brooding place, the place where the Holy Spirit works in us when we are out of control. Not prayer as a means of listing out things that we can have so that we can control our fears or our anxieties, but prayer as the place in which we just follow what God's doing and if He's not doing anything, we just stop. So when the angel tell the, tells the disciples, this same Jesus will come to you in like manner. He's saying, the same way you saw the cloud, he'll come to you in the cloud. Okay? He'll come to you in the cloud. The Bible says that when his presence comes, he comes like a deep darkness. Comes like a deep darkness. And a few weeks ago, a few months ago, the Lord said, I'm going to come to you in a deep darkness and I will show you the treasures of darkness. And you will know things that are basic that you never knew before. You knew them in word, but you did not know them in your life. And I began to realize that I function so much according to my human eyes and my human mind. I can't function on that realm so much that what God was saying is this, you're going to be in the darkness and I'm going to train you so that you can only see things in the dark. And you can only see things by your spirit in the dark. And for that to happen, you have to be willing to offer yourself and wait upon me until I fix your mind, your soul, until I repair you, until I change you, until I tune you until your soul, which right now can only see your own imaginations or your clever stuff, 
your 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 theology or your 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 your, your things that are known that are spoken about that thing that you heard from sermons and all that until you you don't have any you don't depend upon these things. You see not memories. You do not see remembrances of things, of truthful things. You see things from scratch, in the dark. Church doesn't come because we organize ourselves. We end up with something that's not church, it's something else. Church comes through this process. It is this process that will cause us to birth things that are supernatural. Or else, we will have bottled gifts of the Spirit. We'll have things that are called revelations and impressions, and some of them are, but they don't rise to the level of things that can break matter. Yeah? Okay. So they came and they devoted themselves to prayer. I will put it to you that church really begins here. It doesn't begin as community. It doesn't begin as human talking. It begins in prayer. It doesn't begin as individual prayer. It begins in this way. Verse 15, when you're in time with God, it says, verse 15, at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren a gathering of about 120 persons were there together and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was counted among us and received his share in the ministry. Now this man required a few with the price of all his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of all his intestines and all his intestines gushed out and he became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that in their own language... That field was called Hakel Dama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it and let another man take his office. What has that got to do with anything? We are all waiting on God for prayer and then Peter comes and does this tangent. Don't you think? It's kind of strange, right? But it says here, at that time, what does it say? He asks, At this time. You see, the church is not a timeless entity. It is a timely entity. It has God moving in pace. That's why I wrote the, the book, the, the Lord sort of began to put a seed thought in me, healing your internal clock. How do we keep pace with God, see? Because the presence of God is not a static place. It's not a stuffed animal. It's not bottled water. It is the movement of the, movement of the, of the raw spirit of God. And, 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 and what we have here is them entering into the flow. When the river is here, it's not there. If it's here, it's not there. It's not there. It's here. And the next moment, it'll be here. And then the next moment, it'll be here. You have to enter into the flow in real time. You cannot think of the river as this eternal thing there that's always going to roll. No, you, when you enter into the river, you don't... And you don't Look at it intellectually as like this eternal God who's actually the Holy Spirit who does all these things and hear all His attributes. These are eternally Him. No, when you enter into the river, you don't think that way. You think, what are you doing now? What is happening now? I don't know what's next, but today I'm going to commit myself to this now. Does that make sense? And I'm here. I'm so young. I'm so immature. I know what maturity is there. I know in my head. 
but I can't be that. Because I'm here, I'm not there. Does that make sense? To enter into the river of God, you actually enter into your age, your immaturity, your level of experience, what you're doing, what God is doing now. Amen? You don't try to get, get ahead of yourself. You just stay within yourself. And it is in this place where when we wait on God, even though we know God will answer us, when He has not answered us, we stay in the place of Him not having answered us yet. If you're not prepared for that, you don't know prayer. You're just telling God all the things you want Him to do. Okay, tell Him, tell Him, tell Him. Yes, I want you to do this, hopefully in the future. But when you enter into prayer, you enter into the, 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 the fact that He's taking you in a process in which you are moving from one to another and you may want all these things to happen, but they haven't happened yet and you have to live here in the not yet. Because in the not yet, God's wanting to do stuff. One of my daughters always asked me, do you think the Lord, can you give me a word? Whether the Lord is going to let me get into this school or not, or, that, or that, this place. And I say, you have to pray. Because the word is not a predictive word. It's not, it's not like fortune telling. You have the certain things have to happen first, or else you're not in a place to ask for any predictive word. And she got it. She got it, man. Amen? And so... As a result of that, at this time, as they were moving in, something happened while they were praying. And their praying was connected with what, what was going on in life in them. The Holy Spirit put His finger on something that was blocking them. That was causing them not to be able to believe Him. Not be able to give themselves completely to Him. It says, says at this time, right, while they were praying, right, while they were praying, it was not some eternal revelation that came to them. A timely thought. The Holy Spirit bumped into some wound in their heart. And the wound was this, that, Je that Judas was no longer with them, had betrayed them, and called into question everything. It seemed as if all the things of the kingdom of God and Jesus and all that, and all that, were completely swept aside by one miserable nutcase, megalomaniac, whatever, betrayer. And he, one single person, was enough to knock out all the kingdom of heaven and, and all the purposes of God. What is this God? Are we wasting our time? A wound had to put been put inside them. And this wound called into question everything that they were believing, everything that they, would, they were praying about. And to such an extent, they felt, perhaps, I cannot pray anymore because I can't get past this. Are you going to betray me, Lord? How come he was so powerful? He didn't have that many miracles. Jesus, you had more miracles, and yet he's still able to knock you out. I don't know all that was going on psychologically, but there, there comes a point that in the, in the river of prayer, the Holy Spirit brings us to these places. You see, He's taking us somewhere. Does that make sense? He's taking us there. It says, it says the highways, in, blessed are those in whose, who, whose heart are the highways to Zion, because when they 
pastoral, the values and all that, they will all appear before God in Zion. They will take you there. I want to put it to you that if you engage yourself in prayer, not just prayer meetings, you, you will appear before God in Zion. He's taking us there. And he was taking the, children, the, the, the disciples there. But they had come to a point where the goal was, you will receive power, you'll be my witnesses, you'll be changed. The goal was that. The goal was not starting a church. The goal was not having some, 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 some fellowship and all that. No, the goal was, I need to be changed or else I can't get out of this room. Okay? The goal is that. And God is saying to them, boom, you're hitting this. You can't go any further. Something's missing. Something's missing. <laughs> and Peter gets up. Because in real time, right? In real time, the Holy Spirit says, you can't go any further because of this. You need to replace. You need to replace Judas. You need God's replacement for Judas. This hole is so deep, you need a substance that's bigger than the hole. You've been disappointed. You've been disappointed. And I want to put it to you, just say, speak personally to each one of us that some of us may have come to this place. It was going well. I thought it was going to go this way. And you are in the, in the river of the Holy Spirit. You're on the highway. And you're wanting to go. And it's been going well. And suddenly, boom, something happens and you can't get past it. And the Holy Spirit is bringing it up, bringing it up for you. I can't get past this hurt, this wound, this disappointment, this thing that calls into question everything. And the Holy Spirit is saying, this is it. Recently, two months ago, I hit such a point. And it made me think a lot. Just very briefly, some of you may know that two months ago, I received news that I have cancer of the prostate. Thank God, the cancer is contained. Praise God, so don't worry. But pray for me. Suddenly it was contained and I had been hearing from God even before my sabbatical about certain things that had to do with the purpose of why I'm here, why we're here. What's the purpose of God for us as a church? Why am I here? Why am I not in Malaysia? Why am I not in some other place? I've had many people talk to me even recently. You should be somewhere else. You should be somewhere else. But the Lord clearly told me to be here in VCF. But at this time, <laughs> I had a at this time moment. I heard that from the, from, the, from the doctors that I have for sure cancer in my prostate. I had biopsies, MRIs, and I recently had a bone um, scan. And thank God the bone scan came out clear. Thank you for praying for me, many of you who knew about it. But what it did was that it got me asking questions about what is the rest of life going to be like? Will I outlive my mother who's 88 years old? Will I fulfill God's purposes for me? And 
even before this, the Lord had spoken to me about the time that's left in the future for me as a person just living on earth. What's my purpose? When I was young, I was, had the privilege, some would say good luck, to have experienced God very, very soon in very great amounts. I've seen the dead raised. I've seen miracles. I had, I've conducted literally hundreds of healing campaigns and seen God work. I've been to different places and seen every time I go to a place, God would break open the heavens and miracles would, will fall down. I planted six churches. This is my seventh church. And, uh, and I've seen growth happen. And I've seen tremendous things happen. And at the end of my time in Malaysia, the Lord brought me to a place where, in spite of the fact that I had seen so much happen, there was only one thing that came to me, and that was that all that bigger stuff that I did, got, got a privilege to participate in, in uh, directly, was supposed to be given over to other people. And so when I first came, the Lord spoke to me, and there was even a prophecy by Ken Newton. Your church is supposed to be a church that will be able to do work the works of God. I want you to not focus on growing a lot of people that reproduce nothing that much, nothing much, but a people who can do everything that you have seen. And that is the reason why we, during my early days, 20s and 30s, I saw so much, so much of what God was doing and seeing God's miracles and, and stuff like that. And when I came to this place in my at-this-time moment, verse 15, Acts chapter 1, all this was brought up to me. And I asked the question, how much time do I have left to do this work? I could see that the work had just begun. Because I had not got a chance to fully impart more than 10% of what he had done to me when I was 20s, in my 20s and 30s. That's, that's in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the deep shadows of time. 20s and 30s, you know. In the 20s and 30s, I've seen hundreds of people come to the Lord. Hundreds of people at, a, at one time healed, delivered, demons cast out, churches planted. It was as if it was so easy. And now I'm 64 years old. And only 20, 10%. I said, how much time do I have? How much time do I have left? And the Lord said, spoke to me. I'm calling you with a very specific calling. What's important is this. That you are able to be faithful to what I have called you to impart. Because your spiritual... Um, uh, Children, and I, I'm sorry to, 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 to speak so presumptuously, they will be able to do this. I want them to have this. This is what I want. 
not just thousands of people who, can do, who can't do anything, who, who live a second, second-hand Christian life. And that is why I'm appealing to you for, that, for the amount of time that we have left, that God actually can bring us together as a people who are in the river together. Because in VCF, I can tell you this, what God has for you and me, here are some of the things. You'll be able to hear a word from God in Scripture, not just impressions, the Scripture, because Scripture gives us the wisdom, not just the word, not just the impression, but the, the, the wisdom of it, the counsel of it in your devotions. You'll be able to move in the spiritual dimensions by revelation. You will be able to move in the words of knowledge, prophecy, healing, all based upon hearing the voice of God and being in union with God. Not because it's your gift, but because you're just a Christian. Amen? You'll be able to pray from a a place of depression, of discouragement, of fear, of panic, to a place of breakthrough in which you feel the strength of God and and what uh, Psalm 138 calls the, the arrogance of soul. Robustness of soul. You'll be able to open up a word in ministering the word. So much so that there's revelation. It is not just the same old thing. Something fresh. You will be able to go into a place unknown to you and a move of God will start because you know you have a relationship with God and God will be able to move you in real time. Be able to raise children and family who know God. Display strength. You will go through hard times, yes. It won't be easy. But he will hold it. He will hold your commonwealth. You'll cast out demons. You'll carry the presence of God wherever you are. You do spiritual ministry. Not ministry that cannot be distinguished from a TED talk. You will have something that is distinct, not like anything else. You may look like nothing on earth. You may look like crap. But you will be able to do this. If this is not the reason why we remain here, it's not really that worth it. The the pews are not comfortable. I just had a biopsy. It's a real pain in the butt. Someone very kindly brought a a cushion for me. It's not that comfortable. We don't have air conditioning. And I, I got to tell you, as we go from August to September, it's going to get worse. You come to church, you're going to suffer, you're going to sweat, you're going to be uncomfortable. You'll be tempted to go somewhere else with air conditioning. If it is not for these great things that God is doing, it's not that worth it. The community is okay. But it's not that worth it. Amen? And so for those of you who are wondering what is my direction in life, and we're going to close here, I'll put it to you. Your direction in life doesn't come from looking and seeking for these other things that are available to you. It doesn't come from looking at the cap that is your life. It doesn't come from, the, from looking at yourself. It comes from entering into this place we call waiting at God's behest. And while you're waiting, <laughs> by the way, You cannot manipulate God. 
You cannot do any kind of spiritual dynamics tricks. You cannot go to the seminar and say 21 ways of listening to God. You have to wait. And you will be brought to your knees because you know that you cannot make God speak to you. And He speaks to you. He speaks to you only because of His will and His love for you. But then because of that, because you have no control over it, then you know He loves you. Amen? I want to invite you to come. Join us for prayer. Join us for prayer. We have prayer on Sundays. Fridays, and then every day in daily prayer on 12. But not the kind of prayer that controls things, that tells God what He already knows. You're waiting upon Him. Tell Him your, 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 your prayer items. Go for it. But at the same time, in the main, God is doing something. What, see, what God was, was doing was He's jumping on the grapes, right, to make the wine. So He's stumping on the grapes in prayer. Stumping until all the grapes begin to be one. When that happens, the new wine is coming out. Let us pray. Don't be afraid of silence. Don't be afraid of the jangling voices, the voices of panic, anxiety. That is part of prayer. It's what makes prayer efficacious. Lord, we look to you knowing that we are a sorry bunch of people who have no hope in this world unless you come and save us. But we are so happy that you have things in store for us far beyond our deserving, far beyond our own gifting. We bless your name for this church, for what you're doing. I've never been a person who is impressed by numbers. I remember my daughter, Zephy, was part of a team, one of the smallest teams, a team of five people that went for junior nationals against teams of hundreds of people who were famous, well-known, East Coast, Midwest. And these five of them, the very few, they won Junior National, became the top team, girls' team in America. It was not because they were the biggest team. They were the smallest team, five of them. Praise God. God can save by many or by few. If God gives us leave to grow, Praise God. But today, He wants to bring us into the real church. And I want to invite you to surrender yourself, to be baptized in Him, being in Him, submerged in Him. Let Him be the one, be the Lord of your life. Hallelujah. Yes, God, here we are. Here we are with you, Lord. We thank you right now that there is a place outside of the room where people are waiting for love. That is like your love. It's not like our love. It's not like everything, God, that we've learned to do, but it's like your love. So we come right now and we ask as we again put ourselves on the altar, Jesus, we get up alongside you even now. We ask you to renew our minds. 
Give us hearts that are bigger than this world could ever make in us, God. So we can go through the waiting and go through the pain. We embrace the suffering. We embrace the suffering of it, God. We want to see you, Lord. We want to see more. Amen. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. I give you praise. All my heart, I worship you. Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone Every breath that I take Every moment I'm awake Lord, have your way in me Thank you, Lord. Come upon us, Lord. Is this church? We ask you that you do the supernatural thing that only your hand can do. Form us, Lord. Last week you said about forming and building, growing, fitting us together. We ask you that even now, that you will be our one desire. Come, Lord. We thank you. You brought us here for a purpose. And we put us here together for a real purpose. Thank you, Lord. That the river didn't just get switched on. It has been flowing for many years. And so we enter into you, Lord, what you are doing. We want to devote ourselves to prayer, to waiting on you, to keeping our eyes upon you. We welcome you, Lord, that even now, we can entrust you to lead us and guide us, even in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.